afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Notre Dame Stadium. Zivikowski trying to get to the outside. He has blockers in front. Time for Zivikowski. Belong to beat. Shakes it off. To the five and touchdown. And now it is down. It is over. And the Irish have knocked off number one Clemson. Brady Quinn looking. Pump fakes. He rolls to the near side. Throws it. It's caught by Samaja. Inside the 20. Inside the 10. He's going in. Notre Dame has scored. Jones is the back. He's got it again. And Jones a letter room. Tony Jones makes a cut. Gets a block. And scores. Is that the play that will seal the playoff bid for Fighting Irish? What's up? Welcome to Sun Saturday Irish. I'm Charlie Wojcik, and I'm here with Luke Smith. Recruiting insider Mike Seeger from Blue and Gold and on three is going to join us here in a bit to go over everything from Notre Dame's three major June recruiting weekends. This past month has been pivotal to Notre Dame recruiting as they hosted nearly 30 official visits on campus in the past two weeks, including some from some very high-profile prospects. Plus, they've picked up three more verbal commitments with some more on the way, it sounds like. So we're going to go break that down uh, with our friend Mike. But first... Luke, you were in Omaha to see the Irish baseball team defeat Texas on Friday, but drop one to the Oklahoma Sooners on Sunday night. It looked like a really fun time despite the loss and the unbearable heat, but uh, give us the report on Omaha now that you're back in Chicago. She hit it on the head there. It was unbelievably hot in Omaha. Frankly, I don't know how people live in the state of Nebraska. Like, just what <laughs> what are you doing? Um but we, uh, yeah, spent the weekend at a lovely Super 8 on the west side of Omaha. Uh, the hotel lobby had slot machines in it. Looks like it hasn't been touched since 1965. Uh, it was a dump, but it got the job done. But besides that, and, and the loss to Oklahoma last night, Sunday night, it really was It was an awesome weekend. Um, honestly, fr- fans from all of the schools down there were really cool and, and friendly. Um, I, I guess maybe that's kind of the agreement you make with yourself or the realization you have when you travel to Nebraska to watch your team play. So you think anybody else that did this or their team, they've earned some some respect for that commitment. Um, so it's a really cool atmosphere. Uh, I was also pleasantly surprised by the amount of Notre Dame fans down there, just judging on only you know four or five of, of our friends were down there, but there were a lot of ND fans. Um, and you, know, you could hear it throughout the stadium, like a lot of let's go Irish chants. Uh, Friday night against Texas, I was actually sitting in the the team's parents section, and that was a really cool atmosphere. Just parents going nuts the the whole game. Um, that freshman Jack Finley continues to be to be a legend. Uh, I, I will say, I don't know if you've seen this on Twitter. There's like there's one bar close to the stadium that has this Jello shot competition between the eight teams. I have. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. So for any listeners that aren't familiar. Uh, basically, there's this bar called Rocco's. It's a block from the stadium, and they have a scoreboard of the eight teams in the College World Series, and I think each jello shot is $4.50, um, and you can buy a jar of just 20 of them, but when you go up there, the bartender asks you what team you're buying in for, and then they mark a tally, and they update it somewhat throughout the day. I watched one Arkansas fan literally go up and buy four thousand and said, "Just give these out. <laughs> just, just give these 4, out. To, just give the next four thousand out." It was insane. Um, but how much uh, do they have like on deck, ready? to That's go? that's what I was saying. But then it's kind of like it's a prepackaged thing. I think it's a brand that makes these. Mississippi State, who won it all last year, 
set the record um, last year with like 2,000-something. And Arkansas and Ole Miss have already surpassed that two days into the tournament, <laughs> which is insane. Notre Dame is actually up there. Um, I think they're in, let's see, fourth place. So that's not too bad. Stanford's way at the bottom, shockingly. Didn't see a lot of Stanford fans down in, in Nebraska. Um, but, yeah, they were horrible jello shots, too. I'm probably going to try to avoid those the rest of my life. Like, Not even just like from an alcohol perspective. They just tasted awful. I mean, have you ever had a Jello shot that you enjoyed? Because I certainly have not. I am so out on those. Yeah, I mean, they're not always terrible, though. Um, so, I, I don't know. Um, the other thing I will say, it's pretty interesting. Uh, we were at a bar Friday before the Texas game, and the old Notre Dame manager, Paul Maneri, who led Notre Dame to their last College World Series appearance back in 2002, then went to LSU, uh, won a title down there, and, and made it to the College World Series five times, he was at the bar wearing Notre Dame apparel. Um, I'll pose this question to you. Do you see Brian Kelly doing that at the 2037 National Championship game? I do not see him doing that. But not only was he at the bar, he was around all weekend. They, I don't know. Oh, yeah. You were at the game, so you didn't see this. They interviewed him during the broadcast. I guess really? he brought some old former players with him um, from that 2002 team that made it to the College World Series. So, yeah, he's he's all back in on the Notre Dame chain. It seemed like clearly, even though he left to take a job at LSU, which – um, at least for baseball standards, like, you know, that transition makes a lot more sense just given the resources that they have and everything. But he's back in the Notre Dame bandwagon for this ride, that's for sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. But anyways, despite the heat and, and obviously the loss last night, which I guess I got a little bit greedy staying on Sunday. I should have just tap, kept like I finally got a postseason victory and something and I should have just left. Um, but Really fun weekend, and we'll see if Notre Dame can, can keep their season alive against Texas A&M in an elimination game tomorrow afternoon. How much of the Notre Dame fan presence do you think has to do with the fact that Link Jarrett is probably gone after this? And if you haven't heard by now, uh, the job at Florida State opened up. That's where Link Jarrett was a starter for four years. Um, his family's from Tallahassee. I think his parents still live in Tallahassee. And at this point, it seems like all but a done deal that once Notre Dame's season concludes – Link Jarrett is going to take the job at Florida State, which you know I think is completely understandable given the circumstances that we just went over. But it does seem to feel like, at least from my perspective, this is kind of like a last ride for Notre Dame baseball, even though it does seem like the program's just now getting momentum. There's a lot of starters um, on the lineup that are seniors or fifth-year seniors. So it does seem like, from a fan perspective, they're really investing it all on this team and on this run. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's so much just because it's it's likely that he'll move on to, or to, and take the job at his alma mater, but I think it's just more so like, hey, listen, this hasn't happened in 20 years. Uh, I don't, like, it's happened three times total. It might not happen again, so uh, you may as well go and you get the opportunity. And, and who can pass up going to Nebraska? Um, but, but also, it was funny, Saturday we were kind of just walking around the area around the stadium and Link Jarrett was just walking around hanging out. We took a couple pictures with him. So he's just walking around with his family. That's that's kind of why it's a cool atmosphere. It's very, very family friendly and just like kind of everybody's mingling with everybody. Um, but yeah, um, I, I think Notre Dame fans see this as, I don't know if we're ever going to be down here again, or at least not for a while. So may as well go. I can. Who do you think we, or I guess a better question would be which team brought the most fans? I know it's hard to tell because you're not at every game, but and, and we're not going to use the Arkansas 4,000 Jello shots as like an indicator, but I do think the Jello shots might actually be a pretty good indicator of how many fans are in attendance for each team. 
Yeah, it's a good it's a good question um, because part of the thing with Arkansas is this bar, like this bar that did the Jello shot thing. Apparently, the locals have just adopted Arkansas as their team, so a lot of locals just when they go up there say they're buying it for Arkansas. Now there are still a lot of Arkansas fans there, and. When we go down there in 2025, um, after I heard that pig call this weekend like 30 times, that's the creepiest thing I've ever heard. It, it's like <laughs> You've we, never we heard pl- that before? I mean, not in person. Um, and we play down there, I think, in 2025. That's going to be something. Uh, but to, to honestly answer your question, so we spent a lot of time at this one rooftop bar that was right behind the right field fence. And so you yeah, could see into the stadium. They actually show it during the broadcast quite a bit, okay, I think. Okay, cool. And – I so it is also they have they've never figured this out it's a, it's a hassle getting into that stadium just like really bad system um worse than soldier field uh yeah like we missed the home run in the first inning on Friday night and we were in line 45 minutes before the game um but anyways uh I what I would honestly say is that the Notre the two Notre Dame games were by far the fullest of any of the games while we were there because we were there during the other games just during the day now also it wasn't you know, a hundred degrees for first pitch at, at 6 PM, like it was for those day games. So I, I don't really blame people for not wanting to go in for maybe the whole game. Uh, but there are a lot of Ole Miss fans too, um, just because I think they hadn't been in a really long time. There were a lot of Texas fans and that's kind of what pretty much everybody else down there, um, I guess just joined forces on is just hating Texas. Everybody hates Texas down there and just horns down. We're getting thrown. My wrist actually hurts from throwing so many <laughs> horns downs. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like I, I think Notre Dame represented themselves pretty well. Uh, I didn't see a ton of Stanford fans. There weren't a ton of OU fans, honestly, either, but I'd say Notre Dame, Ole Miss and, and Arkansas and, and Texas all had quite a few as at, at, at A&M. So Notre Dame has A&M on Wednesday night or no Tuesday night? No, tomorrow during the day. So Tuesday, yeah. So one p.m. Central. Yeah. So, and we're recording this at five thirty-seven Central Time on Monday. So they got Texas A&M, and if Notre Dame wins that game, uh, then they'll play Oklahoma again, right? Would they have to beat them twice? Yeah. So uh, a lot of games. <laughs> oh my God, Oklahoma might be a wagon too. Yeah, I don't know where that kid came from with the five ERA, and now he's untouchable. Um, but yeah, Carter, that kid, yeah, and Treadway, that him. that six foot five looking shortstop is the tallest yeah. shortstop I've ever seen. But it's just unbelievable. Oklahoma is so good, and they're so hot right now. They showed this. I don't know if you saw this, but at, during the broadcast, they showed like the top prospects by position uh, in the MLB draft that made it to the College World Series, and Oklahoma at four. Really. No one else. No, Notre Dame didn't have a single one. Jeez. Which I guess isn't isn't that surprising. I feel like the way that this Notre Dame team is, but again, based on the what two and a half weeks that I've been seriously following yeah. this team, the right. sum is kind of greater than the individual parts here. But still, it was pretty surprising, and and they might have just ran into a buzzsaw in Oklahoma. But still, I mean, seemed like a great experience all around. Oh yeah, without a doubt. I'm definitely glad I did it. Um, now, if I don't have to go to Nebraska once the next twenty five years, I think I'll be okay. Um, but uh, but yeah, it was it was a really fun weekend. All right, that's it on baseball. Um, you know, it's June, so outside of recruiting, there's not a ton of uh, Notre Dame football news. I guess we could talk about this. Um, it, it generated some reaction online, but I, I think it's mostly a non story. Basically, Marcus Freeman made a comment 
um, about Ohio State in, in an article with Dennis Dodd from, from CBS and was basically just trying to make the point that compared to the two previous schools he's been to, uh, coaching at Cincinnati, which is a pretty big school, and then Ohio State, which is, I think, if not if it's not the biggest college in America, it's second behind Texas. I think those two kind of go back and forth every year. But anyway, Marcus was just making the point that at Notre Dame, you have to physically go to class pretty much every time, whereas at these other big schools, they can offer online classes to their athletes, which undoubtedly makes things a little bit easier. And the thing is, the article came out like in March, and then it recently got aggregated by some Ohio State sites, and they took it as another shot against Ohio State, the first one being the Players' Tribune article, which I actually understood why they were pissed at Freeman, because he said he wasn't going to make the same mistake twice by not going to Notre Dame and picking Ohio State like he did as a high school recruit. That reaction, I think, was totally justified. Marcus walked that back big time. I think he realized he made a mistake. This time, I think it's ridiculous, and I don't... I mean, this is just sort of the way it works with being aggregated and stuff. You take one thing, and it gets blown out of proportion, but I think it's worth mentioning and sort of the reaction, but I don't know. How do you feel about it? I mean, Freeman didn't tell any lies. We know Justin Fields was saying he had never seen the campus when he was at Ohio State. Like, I mean, that... And, hey, that's my quarterback now, so I'm not going to say anything about it, but that is still just one of the more ridiculous things. Like, they asked him, like, so what do you think of Ohio State? Yeah, I don't know. I haven't really gotten around to seeing the campus yet. It's November. (laughs) Where is it? I just hope Um, I know where the football facility is. Yeah. um, But I don't know. I mean, it's not a big deal. Um, And But what else are you going to talk about in the middle of June when you're – that's who you're playing the opening game of the year, I guess. Um, I don't really have anything to add on it. I, I did see one thing today from a some betting guy that kind of annoyed me. Um, I was just telling you about this. Basically, some guy tweeted out Ohio State's wide receivers versus Notre Dame's defensive back recruiting rankings, pointing out that Smith and Jigba, Julian Fleming, and Egbuka and Marvin Harrison Jr. were all five stars. Now, he was actually wrong about Marvin Harrison Jr. He was a four-star. But, however, he pointed out on the other side, Notre Dame has Cam Hart, three-star, Clarence Lewis, three-star, Brandon Joseph, three-star, who was unranked, and Ramon Henderson, three-star, like in the 600s. Follows up his own tweet saying, but so this is what he tweeted out, right? And his bet was minus 10 and a half, on Ohio, or sorry, it was $1,000 on Ohio State, minus 10.5 in the opener at minus 110. Um, yeah, buddy, you're not enlightening anybody. Everybody knows that Ohio State's receivers are good. Uh, you were wrong about Marvin Harrison, and he points that out and says, I met four-star on Marvin Harrison, but I'm guessing he plays like a five-star this year. Well, that just completely invalidated your whole point because Brandon Joseph was uh, an All-American, so you just think he's not going to play like that this year? Who, who cares that he's a three-star? Um, I don't get these guys. Like, I guess I just hate guys that gamble for a living. Like, you're just a loser, to be honest. Um, like, they, this they, is they, not the route I was expecting this combo to go, but okay. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but anyways, like, yeah, it, it just bothered me this morning when I was at the airport in, in Omaha at 4.30 in the morning, so... Um, it bothered me a lot. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> I'm just surprised he got it at 10 and a half. I think it's at at least 14 and a half. And I think, yeah, 10 and a half honestly makes more sense to, to me than 14. 
yeah, I would I would probably say that too. I think the fact that it's at Ohio State might be a reason for that extra little boost there. But I don't know why Ohio State fans are like so desperate for this bulletin board material when I feel like pretty much the unanimous uh, sentiment about Notre Dame going into actually I don't want to say that at all because it's not unanimous. But I feel like most rational Notre Dame fans understand what they're going up against in Ohio State week one on the road. I mean, you and I have been like, yeah, well, hopefully Notre Dame puts up a good fight, but I don't think any of us are going in there or expecting Notre Dame to just walk in and dominate. But now these Ohio State sites are like willing it basically for Notre Dame to be like trash talking the program when Marcus Freeman was just pointing out the obvious, like um, at Notre Dame, you have to go to class at those other schools. You, you don't really have to. And that's not to say that Ohio State is a bad school academically because it's not. It's actually like a really good school. But I'm guessing, obviously I'm not a player in Ohio State, but I'm speculating that the academic rigor and the curriculum that the Ohio State football team is taking is probably not the hardest that the school offers. I don't know. What, is, that, is that a reach, you think? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a joke of a school, <laughs> to be honest, um, especially for football players. Uh but yeah, you you mentioned kind of it's a unanimous consensus. Is that why you went on a much larger podcast and said that Notre Dame was going to lose by a thousand to Ohio State a couple weeks ago? Mm. Well, the good thing <laughs> is, Luke, we're not big enough for aggregators to come get us yet. That's actually mm-hmm. how I know we made it as a podcast. Like if someone aggregates what we say and posts it elsewhere, I'll be like, "Look at this, man! We we made it! <laughs> We've made it!" Because if someone were to take that. I, which I think you did. You did. Yes, so yes. You are the aggregator. <laughs> Turn may, the camera on. <laughs> yeah, I may or may not have, have talked about the game on Titus and Tate, but that, that's not really that important. But yeah, I feel like it was worth mentioning because some people got riled up, but that's just peak. Like, Yeah, well, I mean, I guess like maybe they are scared. Like, let's be honest. If we're going to just start throwing stuff out there, the Rose Bowl was against a bunch of running backs and third-string cornerbacks. Wow, um, that's that's true. Utah had those guys out there. Um they got waxed by a Michigan team that wasn't that good last year. Um, they might be kind of scared, and they're looking for something. Like, is Ryan Day just a poor man's uh, Mark Helfrich? I don't know. Uh, that could be. It, you know, the urban talent's running out. Like, we'll see. Now, I don't believe any of this, but just please <laughs> aggregate all of this. Get it. Uh, aggregate that. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's talk to Mike Singer about some recruiting. All right, Mike Singer joins us now. Mike is the recruiting insider for Blue and Gold, but more importantly, he's the top recurring guest for us over here at Sons of Saturday. It's been too long, man. How have you been? Excellent. Excellent. It's good to be on. All right, great to hear. As you know, Notre Dame just wrapped up one of the most pivotal stretches of the year for their recruiting operation. I'll recap it quickly here for our audience. Notre Dame hosted their annual Irish Invasion Camp the first weekend of June, which featured a lot of high-profile prospects in the class of 2024. And then over the course of the next two weeks, Notre Dame hosted nearly 30 prospects who were taking their official visit. There's obviously a lot there we want to discuss, but we, we could start with a big picture question. What are the major takeaways you've gathered um, about the way Notre Dame staff and the recruiting department handled these past few very chaotic weeks? It's a good, uh, it's a good question, Tyler. And um, you probably saw blueandgold.com. I did that exact article today, <laughs> on, on at least on Monday, June 20th. So, um, I would say the big picture takeaways are one, like the new staff, and you got to remember Mark stream, first time head coach. This is his first time doing this whole, you know, thing as, as a recruiter, uh, again, as a head coach doing a really good job, 
Uh, I think all the weekends were very well organized. Um, staff's doing a great job connecting with the kids and the parents and everything. So I would say from that standpoint, Notre Dame, it, 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 they're just rolling. I mean, the, the staff's got a really good camaraderie. They work well together. Everything is, is good on that front. As far as, you know, the actual recruits, I think receiver and cornerback, there's two positions that Notre Dame's really struggled at. Um, landing top flight talent in recent years. Um, I think they're doing a fantastic job at those two spots. Chancey Stuckey, Mike Mickens, position coaches there doing a really nice job. And I think we're going to see some good news on those two fronts here before uh, the start of the season. But really, in, in, I would say in the next three, three weeks or so, there should be some influx of commitments there. And then, uh, you know, quarterback is another one of those positions that Notre Dame struggled at. And, of course, you get C.J. Carr, um, an elite talent from uh, Selene, Michigan, just outside of um, Ann Arbor. And, um, you know, that's, a, again, that's a, that's a big-time get offers from just about everybody. So, yeah, recruiting's going pretty well under Marcus Freeman, I would say. Mike, could you take us through what these weekends are like from the player's point of view? I'm sure it varies based on the individual, but but what's the itinerary sort of like for these guys when Marcus Freeman is in charge of overseeing these huge recruiting weekends? Yeah, so the two big weekends were June 10th and June 17th. Um, so they'll fly the kids in on a Thursday. So, I mean, this is really smart. Fly them in on a Thursday, but that 48-hour official visit clock doesn't start till like the kids. I don't know what the exact rule is. It's either the kids get on campus or the kids um, have their first interaction with the coach. So they fly into South Bend, you know, get put up in a nice hotel and uh, with good amenities and, and all that stuff. And then they get to campus Friday morning. So they're, it's a full 48 hours. It's not like they're getting in Friday at 3 PM or anything like that. So they're there all day Friday. Um, they start out at the stadium. They do this um, legends walk thing where there's a big video playing on the jumbotron um, that that's kind of the starting on Friday. And then, you know, tours, um, admission meetings, play some cornhole, I think they played golf both weekends. Um, uh, they went to Adventureplex in Mishawaka, which has axe throwing, bowling, arcade, all this stuff. So it's a good mix of also tons of eating, by the way. They eat nonstop on these visits. They should weigh the kids before and after <laughs> the visits, I should say. Um, what are they eating? I bet it's not South Dining Hall food. No. <laughs> oh, no, no, it's uh, yeah, they, they definitely roll out the red carpet in terms of food, but um, it's a good mix of just super fun activities like Adventureplex with also, you know, Sunday, you got the meeting with Marcus Freeman before you head out. Um, you have, um, you know, film breakdowns with the coordinator, lots of meetings with your position coach. So um, it's definitely a jam packed um, 48 hours. I mean, these kids, I mean, once they finish their visits, you know, you got guys like me wanting to interview them right away. And yeah. they are exhausted. I mean, um, especially as kids coming from the West Coast, going back home. Yeah, they are. Uh, they're pretty beat. So I'm always very appreciative of the recruits, you know, doing an interview on a Sunday after an official visit. Because, again, it is a very busy 48 hours with not a lot of sleep. Yeah, and I could see that too. So what you're saying is that the clock doesn't start when Chad Bowden shows up at the airport with a 
giant speaker and he's like losing his mind in the middle of the South Bend airport. That might be when it does start because then he's picking them up to take them back to campus. I want to say again, I mean, I've never been able to experience one of these official visits. Um, I've seen itineraries, but um, that video was... I'm going to admit to you guys, I probably watched it 50 times, if not more. <laughs> it's so fantastic. I've watched every angle of it. Caleb Davis is the guy with the boombox and then gives it to Ronan Hannafin. He's in the Notre Dame recruiting department. Like he, Bowden gets the most love, but shout out Caleb Davis. I think he did a fantastic job as well. Yeah, well, we can ask more about him later, but you mentioned CJ Carr. I feel like we have to start there because he's the most notable commitment from the past few weeks. He's a five-star quarterback. Actually, I think on three is the only site that doesn't have him on three. But I think right, well, you know what? Is- <laughs> let, let me let me mention that. I think 24-7 actually has him ranked the lowest, but their composite somehow has him as a five star. It doesn't make any sense to yeah. me. Uh, but yeah, on three's own rankings actually have him ranked higher than 24-7's own rankings. So no, yeah, on three has him as the number 31 player, number four quarterback. 24-7 is number 50 player and number six quarterback. So just want to throw that out there ESPN needs to get their crap together and rank the kid come on I don't know what they're doing over there look he's obviously a very talented guy I think all the attention from Notre Dame fans is on Dante Moore and then they get a five-star quarterback commit maybe not the one that they expected but he's got an offer from everywhere let's just keep it on on CJ for now what makes him such an elite prospect well I would say that he is just outstanding at everything um you know he's not like the biggest guy right now, like we see him in pictures of him wearing his Notre Dame Jersey. Like he doesn't fill it out yet, but again, he's like 16. I'm not really worried about that. Um, he's six, two and a half, you know, he's about 190 pounds. He's got a strong arm. His mechanics are super clean as you would expect with his dad being a former quarterback in Michigan and grandpa being Lloyd Carr, um, which of course is another talking point. I'm sure we'll get to, um, his accuracy is his best selling point as a quarterback. Um, I mean, it just he does, he does everything. He throws pretty well, rolling to his right and left. You know, he could take off if he needs to. I, there's just no holes in his game. You watch his tape. I've seen him in person a couple times. He just is does everything really well. And uh, one of the one of the better quarterbacks I've seen in my nine years covering football recruiting. All right. I like the sound of that. Now, um, it wouldn't be a podcast if we didn't mention this guy, but uh, as it pertains to the class of 2023, you've reported that Notre Dame still believes it's in the mix for Dante Moore, but there are some conflicting reports from national outlets that Notre Dame might be out of the running. Um, prior to the month of June, it seemed pretty clear that Notre Dame was the guy, uh, or sorry, that Moore was the guy on Notre Dame's board, and, and they were going after him harder than any other prospect. Carr's commitment obviously changes things. So as you understand it, um, what's your sense of Notre Dame's approach to recruiting the quarterback position for the class of 2023 and beyond? Yeah, look, I mean, Notre Dame has, in talking to sources, Notre Dame has felt really, really good about Dante Moore for several months now. Um, And just the longer the recruitment's gone on, I mean, if if you're a leading for a recruit, but he drags out his recruitment longer and longer, you naturally like, well, something's not right. Why is he not committing? So that process is going on. Dante hasn't been to campus since what was it? Late March. He's taken officials to Oregon and LSU. He's visiting Texas A&M this past weekend. He was there when Notre Dame was hoping to have him on campus for an official. So it's like, 
I mean, you're, you, how do you feel great about Landon Dante on one hand? And then the other, you got CJ Carr, who's, who told me that he's, he wanted to commit to Notre Dame back in April, but, you know, needed to do his due diligence and get his family all on board. So you can't tell CJ Carr, again, one of the best quarterbacks I've seen um, at the high school level, especially going into his junior year of high school. You can't tell him you got to wait, like, especially unless Dante was like about to commit, you know, then maybe because you don't, what you don't want to do is feel very, very good about Dante more. Um, and then take a take CJ Carr and then scare off Dante. What you would really want to do is get both get right. Dante in 23 and then CJ in 2024. But again, with you not being so sure about Mr. Moore anymore, um, you, you absolutely take Carr. So, now the question is, what happens in the 2023 class at quarterback? Because pretty much every position Notre Dame is looking really good at. I mean, I like the running back commitment and what might be to come after that. I like the receivers um, and what might be to come. Got a really good tight end. The offensive line class is fantastic. Defensive line, linebacker, defensive back. Everything's looking really good. Quarterback is the biggest uncertainty right now. So what happens next? Here, here are the scenarios for you. A lot more questions than answers at this point. You get Dante Moore. Boom. That's fantastic. And then yeah. you got CJ Card 2024. That's the perfect scenario. You got good. two five-star type quarterbacks. Yeah. There you go. CJ Carr could reclassify to 2023. He told me he's not going to, but I'm still told it, it's a possibility. And then there's your 2023 quarterback. And then you go get somebody in 2024, like a Julian Sand, um, who's another elite prospect. Or CJ sticks in 2024, and then you go get someone else in 2023. Maybe someone who's not as highly ranked as a Dante Moore, but still go get another really good quarterback. Then who knows? Maybe a transfer somewhere in there. But lots of questions, like I said. But you at least the one answer you have is CJ Carr is committed, whether he's in 23 or 24. You have a darn good quarterback who's completely bought into the program. He's going to stick with the Irish no matter what. Maybe I shouldn't say no matter what's recruiting after all, but <laughs> you feel really, really good about the future of the position because you have that young man committed. I'm curious. Is there a relationship between Carr and Moore? They might not know each other personally, but they're two high-profile quarterback prospects out of Michigan. And it, it's not a coincidence that the moment that Carr announces his commitment to Notre Dame, all of a sudden – uh, Notre Dame is not really in it, or they're certainly not the leader for more any anymore. And I thought that was interesting because if you look at the schools that Moore is considering, every single school has a five star or a very highly touted quarterback who's either on the roster already or they signed one in 2022. So I don't think Moore is afraid of competition, especially from a quarterback who's in the class behind him. But at the same time, when those two things got announced like right after each other, it leads me to think that there's something going on there and it's not just a coincidence. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, again, kind of going back to what I said, you take car because you're not feeling as good as more for sure. Um, did car committing lead to Notre Dame slipping with more? You know, I don't, I don't know. I will say that they do know each other pretty well. They're they were at the same seven on seven organization, sound mind, sound body. I'm like 90% sure. I, I I've seen sound money, excuse me, sound mind, sound body before CJ wasn't there, but I'm like, I'm fairly certain that they um, 
I've played there. I mean, they've been to camps together. I mean, they're both in the Detroit area. They, they, they absolutely have known each other for several years. Um, but I mean, how close of friends they are. I don't get paid enough to report on <laughs> who high school recruits are friends with. Um, so, yeah, I, I know they know each other, but in terms of the sleuthing on, well, does Dante not want to play with CJ or vice versa? You know, that's, yeah, again, I, I don't know the, the extent of that. Um, so, again, you, you, if you're a Notre Dame fan, if you don't get Dante Moore, but you get CJ Carr, I mean, that's, that's a net win, you know, in, in my opinion, because you got one of those two, and they're both fantastic. Now, the most high-profile prospect to visit Notre Dame over the month of June was probably Richard Young. He's the number one running back prospect in the country and number 25 player overall, according to the On3 consensus. We saw Notre Dame pull out all the stops for Young. He was the only official visitor on campus when he came up. Marcus Freeman even drove, drove him around in a Ferrari. Had Is that to do Marcus? Like a- do we know if that's Marcus's Ferrari? <laughs> like, or they just rent a Ferrari was, for the day? I was kind of curious where that's coming from because – Mike Bray did something similar with J.J. Starling a couple months ago, so I don't know if they just have some alum who's now just leasing out Ferraris or something just when we need to rent one, but yeah, I was I was curious about that too. I don't think there's a Ferrari dealership in South Bend. No, no. <laughs> like if that's what you're asking. It would not, do, it would not have big business there. <laughs> yeah. Certainly not, but apparently if we need to rent one out for these like one-offs, apparently it works, so... It gets cool to see Notre Dame in the mix for a guy like Young, but it seems like every recruiting insider has him going to Alabama. So realistically, what chance does Notre Dame have to land a commitment from Young? I want to address your first comment, the most high-profile visitor, because you can make an argument on Keon Keeley, uh, but he's committed, right? so that might bring his profile down a ton, a little bit. But you, know, he, you, you can argue that outside of a quarterback, he's the most important recruit. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. For Notre Dame, you know. I think Carr, you can make the argument for him. Um, And then, yeah, Richard Young, definitely up there, five-star back from Southwest Florida. Young just got a different treatment because he was the only one on campus at the time. He did. And uh, I think that worked out for Notre Dame um, to make it such a special and unique um, visit weekend. Of course, you would have liked a, excuse me, midweek visit. It was like a Monday or a Tuesday to Thursday or something like that. Right. You know, you would like for him to be around other recruits and bond with the commits. That's something that a lot of recruits tell me is, you know, when I ask them for highlights of the trip, they all often say, you know, bonding with, you know, the prospects is a is a big part of it. So you missed out on that, but then you did get the special five-star treatment. I mean, when I talk about rolling out the red carpet, I think there literally might have been a, a red carpet <laughs> throughout the South Bend airport that he only he can walk on it and you're not allowed to walk on any of the, the floor. It's just the red carpet. I'm I'm joking. Maybe I don't know. Maybe that actually happened. That's a good idea for next time. But um, yeah, I think Alabama, maybe Georgia. So I would put Notre Dame second or third. One of those SEC schools is probably leading Notre Dame behind. I mean, most of the insiders, like you said, like Alabama. I'm hearing good things about where Georgia stands, and he was just there in Athens this past weekend. But Notre Dame definitely put itself in a good spot, but it's kind of one of those things that you've seen this, you know, before, you know, big time prospect comes up. Oh, all the reporters are saying really good things. You know, um, Notre Dame feels good about this prospect, but then the visit high, the visit high kind of wears off. 
Um, and th- it's not like Notre Dame's had Richard Young on campus two or three times before. I mean, they really just got in the sweepstakes for this young man recently. This was his first visit. If he stretches his recruitment well into the fall, Notre Dame could get him on campus. Then I would be like, oh, yeah, Notre Dame's like a, you know, can really land this kid. But I mean, again, I do think they're they're running maybe second or third, but I, I think it's a probably a, a sizable gap between, you know, whoever's the leader and whoever's, you know, running a second. At the time of this recording, Notre Dame has just one receiver committed in the class of 2023 and four-star Braylon James, but you alluded to this earlier. It sounds like they're in a strong position to potentially land a trio of four-star receivers and Rico Flores, Jaden Greathouse, and Ronan Hannafin in the next few months. So what can you tell us about this group of prospects and where Notre Dame stands with them? Well, if they land those three and, and keep Braylon James, you are fired up. I mean, this, I mean, four receivers. I mean, that's what Notre Dame probably needed last year, and they right. signed one. <laughs> yeah, and this is like the bare minimum. Yeah. And you wanted to see them get a transfer last year. Yeah. And they didn't get one. So, I mean, this is, it, it's, and it's not like they're just sh- signing, you know, Billy from the, from the corner of the gas station. I mean, these are all bona fide studs. I mean, Jaden Greathouse, top four, Notre Dame, South Carolina, Oklahoma, Texas. All right, yeah, that's not bad. Rico Flores, Notre Dame, Georgia, Oklahoma. That's a pretty good top three. Ronan Hannafin, Alabama, LSU, Oklahoma, everybody's after him. Um, And then Braylon James had offers from tons of big-time, you know, SECs and Big 12s as well. I mean, it, it. the offer list, the rankings, the film, all of it looks great for these guys. Um, it's a fantastic class, all bigger body guys. So you don't have like a, a five, 10, 175 pound speedster from the slot, but needing a, needing to be small to play slot receivers, a myth like that, you know, you, the bigger, the better. I mean, and it's not like these guys are slow just because they're six two. Um, so you got some really nice athletes, Ronan Hannafin is a freak show, whether he's playing receiver or safety. Uh, if if he commits to Notre Dame, the expectations he would come into play receiver. But, I mean, he can play um, pretty much anywhere. Just a fantastic athlete. I mean, yeah, you'd be fired up if these four receivers end up at Notre Dame. Quick follow-up on Hannafin. Um, what's the deal? Uh, I think every major recruiting outlet has him ranked outside the top 300, but you just mentioned – I mean, the offer list he has, how versatile he is. Why do you think there's been a disconnect in his evaluation by recruiting sites compared to how the top programs seem to view him? Uh, I have two thoughts here. I don't know if it's really going to answer your question. Um, First thought being like, I don't think he's been to camps and being from Massachusetts, maybe. Yeah. The other thing is, uh, I always see fans say, uh, the Bama bump kids get all bumped when they're, you know, Alabama starts recruiting them. I mean, I mean, Alabama's after, I mean, this kid's got all the offers. And so offer lists don't really equate to high rankings. Um, I think if you, if you're a, a, one of these websites who ranks kids and you bump a kid, cause he's got those offers, then like, wh- what's your point? Then, wh- I mean, what good do you do? Just rank the kids based on offers. If that's the criteria, so even though I disagree with sites having Hannafin as a three-star, I mean, if that's what they feel, 
then, you know, that that's your subjective opinion. I disagree with it, but I mean, stick to your guns is, is how I feel on it. But hopefully, you know, on three and some of these sites, you know, put him in the at least like a top 250 player nationally, because that's where I feel like he, he should be ranked at, at, at the very least. Yeah, plus he's got another full season to truly like showcase his skill set, and he might he might jump up after that. So, so that's a good point, Tyler. So a lot of these kids get, I mean, like the pot of gold thing for the twenty twenty four class. Um, sorry, I just had to recruit dad. Text me, that was important. Um, <laughs> tell him to get to him later. Bre- yeah, breaking news. Yeah, he gets to him later. <laughs> Richard Young. Um, I'm on Sons of Saturday <laughs> Irish for crying out loud. Um, I don't know if that meant that sounded sarcastic. I really didn't mean it. Sorry. You didn't hurt our feelings. So, like, Notre Dame offered like 70 something prospects who are going into their junior year. Right. Uh, and this was uh, back in March. So the kids are still sophomores. So, Notre Dame has to decide good or not. Like, do we want to offer these kids when they're sophomores? The rankings websites. They get until the very, very end. I mean, they can bump a kid from a three to a five star. They can do whatever the heck they want. Whereas Notre Dame might take a kid's commitment like a Brandon Davis Swain, Owen Wafel, CJ Carr, kids who haven't played a down of high school football um, as a junior. And they're committed to those kids. Um, but, you know, rivals on three, 24 seven, all these sites, they can f- have it bump around as much as they want. So, I think that's something interesting that, you know, the rankings of websites get a lot more time to evaluate the kids um, than the actual schools do, if that makes sense. Yeah. Didn't Notre Dame just offer two eighth graders? <laughs> they got of California. Yeah. Yeah. They visited. I think it was a couple 2025. Six. Was it 2026? Yeah. That's <laughs> terrible. Crickets. I can't even imagine offering a scholarship to an yeah. eighth grader. When yeah. I was how big grade? I think it was like five, two. I was five, two. <laughs> May no, maybe 100 pounds <laughs> on the freshman football program they give out. They listed me as 110. I was definitely not 110. They just <laughs> added 15 more pounds, probably because they felt like they'd get some complaints that it was a safety hazard putting me out there. But that's either here nor there. Uh, moving over to the defensive side, uh, you mentioned defensive back. Notre Dame has not done well at recruiting the position in recent years. They've got two four star. Dude, you said recent years. I mean, like. Maybe ever <laughs> a twelve year like since Brian Kelly got there. I mean, it's been really bad. Yeah, really bad. Yeah. <clears throat> it hasn't been good this year. They only have two four star safeties committed at, as of now. Um, no cornerback commits, although they did have one from Justin Rett, and I want to actually talk about him here in a second. But first, um, you reported that this could change very soon uh, with Micah Bell and Christian Gray, two four star corners. They seem set to announce where they're going to school here pretty soon. So just focusing on those two right now, what do you think of those two prospects? And then looking at the group as a whole, would Notre Dame be content with just the four verbals? Yes. Yes. So you got Peyton, the two safeties you mentioned, Don Schuler, four-star from New Jersey, he's locked in. You got a four-star safety from Texas who um, my sources, you know, close to Notre Dame football program feel that Peyton Bowen um, from the Dallas area is a five-star talent. You know, he's not, I think the size holds them back from being an obvious five star, but again, folks in Notre Dame still feel like he is, you know, he's, he's a five star talent. So then you got a couple cornerback prospects. I think who Notre Dame is trending in a very strong position for uh, Micah Bell, uh, a four star from Houston and uh, Christian Gray from uh, St. Louis to Smet, um, who 
Mike Mickens, Marcus Freeman, and those guys have been recruiting really hard for um, over a year now. So, um, yeah, I think you'd feel really good if that's your four. Obviously, you'd like five-star safety down. Uh, excuse me, five-star safety Caleb Downs from um, the Atlanta area. Uh, you know, Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Notre Dame look to be the top four schools there. He's probably trending towards Ohio State, if you can believe it. Um, you know, you'd think he'd end up at one of those SEC programs, but Ohio State's considered the team to beat for Downs. So, yeah, I mean, that would be a really good defensive back class. I'd probably give that like a like a solid A minus. I mean, Christian Gray is one of the best cornerbacks um, in the country. I mean, I've seen him a couple times in person. He's got a twitchiness and speed to him that you just don't see a ton. Uh, like I said, Peyton Bowen's a fantastic prospect. Don Schuler is a very instinctive safety. And then Micah Bell, pop on Micah Bell's tape and and just look at him at running back. I mean, the, the wheels on this kid um, are outstanding. So very good defensive back class. But like I said, Notre Dame's got to hold on to Bowen and they actually got to go get um, Bell and Gray, who uh, do announce their commitments. Uh, Bell is the 1st of July and, and Gray is on Independence Day. All right, so we'll be hearing from those guys soon. And I mentioned Justin Rett. He's a top cornerback prospect out of Bishop Gorman. He took an official visit to Georgia, and in the ensuing days, he flipped his commitment from Notre Dame to the Bulldogs. And based on what I've read by you, it seems like he broke a rule put in place by Marcus Freeman and the Notre Dame coaching staff by taking an official visit to another school after verbally committing to Notre Dame. Can you elaborate on Notre Dame's stance there? Because I believe Keon Keeley also took official visits um, but he didn't, you know, decommit right after. But it does seem like that's sort of a priority of this staff. So really, what what's the true rule there? Yeah, so Keeley's only taken unofficials. Bowen's taken some unofficials. Even a Don Schuler, the safety out of New Jersey, he's taken a couple unofficials, like with his high school team, did like a bus tour, so that's not a really big deal. But um, so really quick, official versus unofficial, I won't go too deep into it. It's a, it's a big difference. Officials are very serious. Um you know, they're, they're like, a, you know, actions speak louder than words kind of deal. Like if you take an official, that's a big action. That means you're very serious in that school and, and, and the school is very interested in you. So if you're a commit, obviously, if you're the Notre Dame staff, you don't want your, your commits taking any visits. But if they're going to take an unofficial, you know, that's, you know, you get it. But, an, you know, an official is, is just, I mean, it's a lot more whining and dining and rolling out the red carpet than an unofficial. Um, so, yeah, essentially, Rhett took the official to, to Georgia. Um, Notre, and that one was trending away from Notre Dame. So I think the staff, and I'm not trying to speak for the staff here. This is just kind of my read on it. I think the staff kind of was like, all right, this guy's going anyway. So let's kind of use this as an example to our rest of our class. Not trying to scare them, but just kind of make their intentions clear. If you take an official anywhere else, we do not view you as a committed prospect. We're like still recruit you and still want you, but your spot is not guaranteed now. So for example, if I'm committed as a kicker and I go take an official visit to um, Florida, they're going to go recruit another kicker in my spot. Does that make sense? So that's essentially where it is. It's not like if you take an official buy, I'm never talking to you again. I'm deleting uh, your number out of my phone and unfollowing you, uh, Mr. Singer. Um, uh, Marcus Freeman is still going to contact me all the time, and and, and be, we're going to be best buds, um, but they might recruit over me. 
that's at least my read on the whole situation. I don't, again, I don't want to speak for Notre Dame. Um, I'm sure Marcus Freeman is, is, is listening to this. So oh, Mr. Yeah. Freeman, I'm wrong here. Just give me a call and let me know. <laughs> um, now, going back to the offense, Notre Dame picked up two offensive line commitments in the month of June. Four-star Elijah Page and three-star Joe Otting. That puts Notre Dame at four commitments at the offensive line group in the 2023 class. Um, you've reported that they're still in the mix for Monroe Freeling and Charles Jagusa, both of whom are top 70 players nationally, I want to say. Um, which one do you think is more likely to pick the Irish? And, and if they were to commit, how would you grade this this group as a whole? Sorry, I'm, I'm chuckling over here. I've heard a lot of pronouncements for – I, I had no idea how name. to that say that. That was the that. worst. What, what is Jacusa. it? <laughs> yeah, what, what is it? Sound like to- Tony Saragusa, the, the big line yeah. back in the day. Charles Jagasaw. Jagasaw. Jagusa. That makes that's a lot a, more sense. To be fair, I, Luke, I think I've heard someone else say Jagusa. That's why I said it. Because Notre I, Dame media I know, personality. I know who it is, and I'm not going to call him out, but that's where I've gotten that from because I thought it was Jagasaw, but now I'm just going to. You know, okay. hindsight twenty twenty. Yeah, that's not Luke's fault. I've heard that as well. Jagusa, that's <laughs> funny. I, I I hadn't heard that one. Uh, but yeah, uh, I, I think he's more likely to land at Notre Dame on three zone rankings. Have him as a five star, number one tackle in the country. So, um, the guys that on three very high on on uh, Mister Jagasaw. Um, and I mean, he's actually just wrapped up. As we're recording this, he wrapped up his official visit um, earlier today. It was actually supposed to be getting on the phone with him here pretty soon. Um, so that'll be my call after I'm, I'm wrapping up with you guys. Um, so, yeah, I, I think they get him. I think Freeling ends up at like a Clemson or a Georgia. And then you got um, a couple uh, big hog mollies from uh, North Carolina, Sullivan Absher and, and Sam Pendleton. Um, you got Odding and uh, Paige, who you mentioned. It's not like a, you know, it's, it's not superstar studded, you know, because you got a three star in there. And the Sam Pendleton is a, you know, three or four star, depending on which site you look at. But Absher is, you know, he's got first round pick written all over him. Page, I think, is very undervalued right now. Uh, I think a couple of the recruiting sites recently bumped him into their, you know, national rankings. But um, Page is, I, I really like him at the tackle spot. And then Jaggy Saw is just, he's got, unlimited potential um i mean wrestling background i mean he's very strong very agile and uh just mauls people on the offensive line so yeah i mean if when notre dame does finish their offensive line class i'm excited to look at the blake fisher class in 2021 and then this past class with with billy schroth and Emil wagner and joey tononen because it would be all three classes will have five offensive linemen each. So like, let's de- it's going to be fun to debate, which is the best on paper. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because um, obviously these, if Notre Dame were to sign five commits on the offensive line in, in this year's class, that would equal both of those past years. And, and there's a lot of depth there. So, so based on what you've heard, what is Harry? He stands message to those recruits coming in with so many talented guys already on the roster. I mean, it's offensive line. You man, come go. I mean, here, here's the guys that have been drafted. You know that I coached, and here's the money they're making. And then you're going to get an amazing degree. I mean, it. It's not. It's not. I don't know. 
I don't know, Luke. You've asked better questions than that. It's a pretty obvious answer. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's the offensive line pedigree and get an amazing uh, you get amazing degree and get coached by me. Yeah, Chris Watt being my assistant, that's that's not bad either. I mean, it, it's he. So he's offered three recruits in the 2023 class um, since he became Notre Dame's offensive line coach. Just three: Elijah Page committed, Joe Otting um committed sam pendleton committed he's going to the hall of fame with that batting average uh, that's not that's not too shabby that isn't too bad um all right just a couple more here before we wrap it up you mentioned keon keely is maybe the most important prospect for notre dame in this class even over uh dante moore just no 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 just no, no. Mo- under quarterbacks always most important under okay yeah. so still one of the most high profile and then the rest of the defensive line class is is already elite looking at like brandon vernon and now there's still Jason Moore on the board, another top prospect. I know he took his second official visit. I believe it was last weekend. Is there any update on him and just sort of the defensive line group as a whole? Yeah, so you got the four committed, like you've said. You got Keon Keeley on the edge. Then you have Brennan Vernon, who at first thought he was like at that big end position, strong side end. I think he's more to a three three tecker nose at this point. I mean, the dude's about 300, getting close to 300 pounds. I think his last time he checked in, it was like 280, 285 as a junior in high school. Probably because he's taking all these visits. So you said how well head. they eat on these. There you go. And then you got uh, Bubakar Traore and Devin Houston, who look to be hybrid guys who can play multiple spots. So you, you feel really good about those four. If Jason Moore commits to Notre Dame, Boom, you got five. You probably got the best defensive line class in the country or, or one of them. If he doesn't, you, you probably stick with the four. I think the number's called for four in this class, and they hit that target number, but Jason Moore is one of those guys. He's just a take. You take him no matter what. He's, he's really down to Notre Dame, Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State. I think it's even further more you can look at it, Notre Dame versus Penn State. And I give the Irish the slightest of leads. Now, my counterpart over at the Penn State on three site, Ryan Snyder, would probably say the same thing, but give Penn State a slight edge. Um, but that that's what I got for. I think Notre Dame will end up landing them. Um, but it, it's it's a tight battle between the Irish and Nittany Lions. And then going back to the staff really quickly, I'm curious of all of the new coaches on the Notre Dame staff who were brought on after Marcus Freeman was promoted. Chancey Stuckey. Coach. I'm just going to say Chancey Stuckey. I don't know what the question is, but Chancey Stuckey. It's, it's going to be something about Notre Dame, the best or most surprising recruiter or something, something like that. Yeah, something along the lines of who has impressed you the most Stuckey. as a recruiter. Stuckey. I love Chancey Stuckey, man. The, I mean, the energy that he has brought – is night and day. And I, I like Dell Alexander. I thought he he worked hard. That's the number one thing about recruiting. You have to work. If you are lazy, you're going to suck. If you're awkward and you don't really connect with kids, if you work hard at it, you can still recruit. I mean, 16-year-old kids know a lot of awkward people. You know, like, it, you know, just being an awkward coach, it's not, it's not the end of the world. They'll still go play for you if you work at it, Right. My dad's awkward, but hey, when he still reaches out to me a lot, you know, it makes me happy. You know, he's he's still awkward. But anyway, Stucky though works at it, and he is an awesome, very connectable human being. Um, I mean, he is just he's awesome. I, I don't know what to say. Like the kids really love him. 
Um, he brings the energy. Um, he's re- very relatable. Yeah. I mean, he, he's kicking butt. You know what? This is a, this is a PG 13. I'll even say he PG 13, but he's kicking ass. Whoa. Can I say that? Whoa. Go chill out. Okay. <laughs> just kidding. All right, shit. Oh, I mean, oh, <laughs> crap. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Stucky, if they get Hannafin Flores, uh, great house and James, I mean, come on. That that's one of the best receiver classes in, in recent history for now. I mean, the 2021 class with Jaden Thomas, Deion Colsey, and Lorenzo Styles was really good. Um, so you got to give kudos to uh, you know, Chip Long and Dell Alexander for that one. But um, I mean, th- this would th- this would be better. Um and, and man, yeah, Stucky. It's kicking ass. All right. And think about how much public perception of him would have changed in just a few months. Because remember when his name was first brought up, no one had ever heard of him. No, no Notre Dame fan had ever heard of him. But pissed. they were definitive. They were yeah, Notre Dame. They fans were, were definitive. Yeah, that he was not the guy, and that the uh, the guy from Purdue yeah. was like the best option based on all the extensive film. I'm sure they watched. And now here, in in before even coaching an actual game, he could sign four top receivers, which is pretty nuts. All right, last one here, and. uh I'm not trying to get you in trouble. You're already laughing, see, so I'm nervous. I want to see how much you'll give me here. You interview a lot of recruits right after their official visit, and you've been doing this for a long time. Like You haven't just been on the Notre Dame beat, so this is an all-encompassing question for your career. Okay, It seems like way more often than not, whenever you do these recruiting interviews right after the visit, every prospect is glowing reviews about every school they visit, even if they have no intention of going there. Has a prospect ever told you that their visit stunk and they hated it? And did you have to report it? You don't have to give me the names, but I feel like there's got to be at least one prospect who's like, dude, that was awful. I'm never going there. But you can't really report Maybe, that. Maybe not in those words. Um, I, yeah, not in those words, but and, and maybe not in a phone interview, because if I hear that, I'm not going to like now try to do an article on it. You know, I mean, to, to, to what end Um, I've, I've heard about very awkward visits. Um, You know, yeah, there, there's all sorts of, yeah. Yeah. This is one of those questions you should have me prepare a little bit more for. I might be able to give you something. I, I thought of it when you, when you said the glow, I think you called it the glow after official visit, yeah. and that's probably so true. Like they just got all this attention. It probably went so great. And I just was wondering if anyone just completely fumbled it and just ruined it. I, I, I will never forget this one interview. And um, th- this is, this is not for our PG audience. So I, I, I called, through, I, I called the recruit. I was covering Louisville actually at the time, L1C4. And he answers and I, and I asked him how the visit goes. And starts rambling off all sorts of obscenities i mean like sexual stuff like i was like what the actual hell is going on right here was this bobby petrino days <laughs> yes it was that totally was. checks out but yeah then i i hung up because i realized pretty quickly that like did the kid get a new phone like did he or like a new phone number like this is not the kid i'm like thinking i still don't know exactly what happened Louisville was not doing anything like that under official visits. I'm like 90% sure I was not talking to the recruit. My guess was that the kid got a new phone number. Someone else got his 
old number and a bunch of reporters were contacting him and the guy was just having fun with it. <laughs> um, but still that 10% of me. Yeah. Of like, was I actually talking to that recruit? I don't know. <laughs> well, have you seen what Louisville's been doing lately? Like Luke and I were just talking about this before we were on air. They're killing it. Well, yeah. well they've, they've signed some top guys for sure. They've like, they got Pierce Clarkson. Uh, they look like they're in good position for that running back. Ruben Jones. Lance Taylor. Yeah. Lance Taylor. Right. But did you see what they're doing on their official visits? No. Okay, so over the, the this past weekend, they had their like big recruiting weekend. And uh, did you live in Louisville? No. Like, is this okay? All right. So anyway, they there's this. Um, I don't even know what to call it really because it's not an it's not like a a big airport, but it's called Bowman Field. It's technically an airport, like private, smaller planes. So they took all the recruits there, and it's in the middle of a. I don't know. Not, there's not much going on there. And they had these private jets and real fancy luxury cars parked in this big like airline hangar and garage. And all these recruits are taking pictures inside of the private jet. Just in parked. the garage. Yeah, yeah, not outside. And they're like getting it was just such a contrast in what Notre Dame does and all the stuff that they were doing. And then they had like a couple Rolls Royces on the actual field. And I would I mean, let's just be honest here. Uh, the Louisville Athletic Department, men's basketball and football, they have a an interesting history when it comes to how they attract recruits. So I don't know. Yeah, they've been doing a lot better at it lately, but I don't know if you, you had seen that at all. I want to say when Marcus Freeman was at Cincinnati, I like I remember seeing pictures of Freeman with recruits and they would bring out a really expensive car onto the onto the field and you know take pictures. I haven't seen that at Notre Dame yet. The Ferrari thing was the first car not you know and I, I say that probably someone's gonna tweet me and be angry that i forgot about something but i i want to say that's the first car related recruiting thing i've seen covering notre dame yeah and it was pretty subtle too i don't even it was richard young who posted yeah it, it yeah it was richard yeah. unless you want to say parking a bus outside somebody's house or whatever yeah whatever that's that's not that cool forgot about that all right well be sure to follow all of mike's work at blueandgold.com plus you can give him a follow at Mike T. Singer, and check out the Blue and Gold YouTube channel as well. Mike, you're just a, a content machine, and we always appreciate you coming on, so thanks for doing this. All right. Luke, Tyler, you guys are the best. All right. That's a wrap for this episode. Thank you guys for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and please give us a follow at Sons of Sat Irish on all of our social media channels to stay updated on everything we've got going on here. We've got some exciting stuff in the works, and hopefully we'll be able to release that to you soon. But in the meantime, enjoy the summer, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.